Um, if you have your Bibles, if you'd like to open them at Matthew 24, Matthew 24. And um, just while you're finding Matthew 24:14, I'll read just one verse, CB, if that's okay. And um, Matthew 24 and verse 14. <clears throat> but when, when I come to preach, I'm going to be doing the New Testament reading, I think, David. Do I do the John's Gospel reading? So but what we're going to do this morning, just to, just to give you a heads up, when I do the reading, what I want us to do is something different this morning. I don't want you to follow with your cell phones or your Bibles. I want you just to simply listen to the reading of the Word of God. Do you mind a bit of change this morning? And Because uh, faith comes by and hearing by the Word of God. And I think we can all improve, Justin Ellis certainly can improve on that one, on how to listen better. Do you all know Justin Ellis? He's a pilot. You know, he said to me once, he said, you never need to ask if there's a pilot in the room. I said, why not? He said, oh, he'll tell you. We've now got in Lincoln, I'm going to tell you, we've got a guy who's a potential ruling elder who is also a pilot, just like you. So well, let, uh, let me read the word of God for us. Matthew 24 and verse 14. It says here, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations and then the end shall come. I remember being a young Christian living in, in London, southeast London. Um, I was 25 when I was firmly converted, though the Lord brought me to himself when I was 21. But I was just devouring sermons. You know, if the church where I was at had four services on the Lord's Day, I would have been in all four. Um, but we had two services at a time when all churches in England seemed to all have two services morning and evening. That's changed a lot since, sadly. But I remember coming across Matthew 24, 14 in a sermon on this verse. And this gospel of the kingdom will be, not maybe, will be proclaimed. And that's not proclaimed on TV or even radio. It's proclaimed by men in the flesh preaching to people in the flesh. Just like God didn't send an email down from heaven, he sent his only begotten son. This gospel will be proclaimed throughout a whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end shall come. And I remember as a young Christian saying to the Lord, I commit my whole life to this verse. And by God's grace, I've never had to try to ever go overseas since I've been a Christian. So we got involved in Albania um, at the time of the Berlin Wall collapsed. And, you know, I had the opportunity to preach in places in Albania where the gospel had never, ever been heard before. In 1991, I preached in a prison in Saranda, Albania. And uh, there's about 60 fellows, and they'd never heard the gospel in their lives. And so what a privilege that has been, really. In fact, my wife and I, we met in Albania. You've got Bertie Coney tonight, haven't you? Um, which is fantastic. I was involved in Albania before Bertie Coney was even converted. And, uh, and today in Albania, there are, it's a real highlight. Not every country in, in, Al, in Eastern Europe is a success story post-communism, but Albania certainly is. There's a congregation in every, even smallish town in the whole country today. It's remarkable what the Lord has done. So I committed myself to this verse, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world. We thought the Lord wanted us to serve overseas in missions. We served on a 
mission ship called the MV Dulos as a family. Thought we were en route to go to a place like northern India. But the more countries we saw, and I don't know how many countries I've been to, maybe 40 plus. But the more countries I saw, the more I realized Britain was a mission field. But I was trying to put my fingers in my ears because I thought, I don't want to be in Britain. It's boring to be in Britain. It'll be more exciting to go somewhere else. But actually, the Lord providentially uh, rearranged our direction and made it clear he wanted me to be a Presbyterian minister in England. And I remember back in 2010, which it was in Easter, the week after Easter, I came for the first time to Grace Presbyterian Church. And um, I was sent over here because our denomination didn't have resources to plant another church in Sheffield, which was going to be the largest city that they'd ever tried to plant a church in before. And um, so I was here to sow the vision for church planting. And so we just developed friendships, really. That's what's happened over the last 13 years. And it's wonderful that my wife and I and my children, my two daughters, they have friendships all across the southern part of the U.S. And it's, that's probably a real major highlight. And so what I really want to focus on just really this morning in our brief time together, to give you about seven, I think because of our Ugandan friends here, I'm probably going to put an extra point on of number eight on Uganda, uh, to give you eight brief points so you know how to pray, which I think it's more important to take things away to pray than just filling your ears with information. So point number one is is uh, Sheffield. Is there any water anywhere? or Anyone got a bottle of water? Is that Okay. So point one is Sheffield. Sheffield was uh, planted, the work began for planting the church was 2009. Uh, We now have our own building. We put an addition on the building. It was a building built in 1629. The founding minister there was one of the Westminster divines called Stanley Gower. It's just a remarkable providence of the Lord. Um, Thank you, David. And many things have been happening over the years, and I think our conclusion was, it was as if the devil was, is it okay to put it on there? It was as if the devil has been watching and waiting to strike. And COVID for us was a very different experience to yours. Uh, we had serious lockdowns, uh, times when church was not allowed to meet, and then all people had all kinds of different opinions. The last two to three years have probably, not right now it's not, but have been probably the hardest two to three years of our lives. But I'm glad that today I can say praise God for the difficulties, the hardships, the setbacks, um, because Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So I'd want you to pray for us in Sheffield. I, I'm away, been away, I'll be away for almost a month, got another week left. And it's just wonderful that I can be in Georgia, sip iced sweet ass tea, and not have to worry about a thing, really. My wife worries, but I say to her, there's nothing to worry about. Because God has been raising up some real quality men who are preaching, potential elders. One man is going to be a potential elder for us from, uh, he's from northern Nigeria. He's seen churches burned down. He's seen people martyred. 
Therefore, any trials we've been going through the last three years is nothing in comparison to what he has faced personally in northern Nigeria. So we've got people who are preaching, doing Sunday school, and uh, that's a wonderful, sweet providence for us. So you can pray for us in Sheffield because this year it just seems it's been a fresh season, really. People have said that this year... Um, is, the Lord's days have been the most enjoyable, they've said, that they've had for three years. They've really suffered the congregation. So we can continue to pray for us in Sheffield. They say that while we're here and even before we're here, that the, the morning services certainly have been packed. And they, the chapel hasn't been packed for oof, three to four years, maybe. So we praise God for that. And I looked at the congregation the week and I thought, this congregation is the strongest it's ever been but we seem to have maybe i'll go to the second point so that's first you can give thanks and continue to pray for us in sheffield the second point is to pray for us as a session we've got a session meeting a week on friday week on thursday and we've had a renegade elder who's been one of the primary sources of all the difficulties who's rallied people to fight against us his, his goal has been one thing. He's wanted me out of the ministry and out of the church. And he's developed a, a small group of Pharisees. And, um, and we've got a session meeting where we're going to be bringing charges against some people. And we have to do that. If we don't do it, we will have a dereliction of duty as a session. Because this is not about individuals. It's about the officers that God has in the church. Because if men come against the office not so much individuals, but the office, with an aim to destroy the church. We cannot sit with our hands and our fingers as elders because elders are required to, to lead. And so you can pray for us as a session. Um, we have currently two interim elders and we're about to appoint, uh, begin to appoint more elders and vote for them. I know you're voting for some. So you can pray for us in the next probably four to five months to really put the hammer down. And the congregation wants us as elders to do something because it gives them security. And, um, and if men are showing that they're most likely apostate, they need to be brought to account. Uh, so you can pray for us as a session and then for the new men we're going to be voting for. Thirdly, you can pray for us as a denomination. I, I think I'm not here in the U.S., um, to paint a rose-tinted spectacles picture. Um, I've been in our denomination now for many years, and um, there's never been a time when we need prayer as much as we do right now. Uh, the devil has been very active. We've grown. We've probably tripled in size as a denomination since I first came to Grace. When I first came to Grace, I was one of only two English ministers in our whole denomination. The rest were Scottish, Irish, American, or Welsh. That's changed some, but what's happened is people have fled from more liberal denominations that want to ordain women ministers and thought, well, EPCW is a great option. They don't ordain women ministers. You know the story of the Greek story of the Trojan horse? You know, the Trojan horse comes in and then they open the side of the door and all these soldiers come out. Well, we've ended up 
with a Trojan horse, I believe, is a denomination. We've, had, we've grown a lot, but a lot of people who've come in don't really understand what it means to be Presbyterian. So we had a presbytery meeting just a few weeks ago, and we have men who now vote against their own book of church order because pragmatism rules the day. I remember I used to watch PCA General Assemblies, and I thought, boy, I'm glad I'm not in a denomination like that. Well, actually, in 2023, I am in a denomination like that. There's nothing new under the sun. So we, we've got a presbytery meeting a week on Saturday. I think it's a week on Saturday, the last Saturday in March. And we really do covet your prayers for us because we need the Lord's, we need the Holy Spirit to intervene. Um, you know, the more mature men, it's a bit like, you remember that story in the Bible, Rehoboam and Jeroboam, and one was just taking advice from the young fellows. Well, what we find is that these younger fellows, one makes a, a bold assertion, and then all of his little mates all follow. There's no argue, there's no cogent discussion. Um, and so we, we really need the Lord's intervention. Uh, the gospel is at stake here. The church is at stake. And so do pray for us as a denomination, not only for that next presbytery meeting, but in, for the rest of the year, if you can, that God would rescue us. Because otherwise, we may as well remove the P out of the denomination. Uh, you know, we're either going to be Presbyterian or we're not. And Presbyterian means you subscribe to Scripture being the supreme authority. Number two, you subscribe to the Westminster Standards. But number three, you don't subscribe. You agree to follow the church's book of church order. You don't subscribe to that. You agree to follow it. And we have men who think, you know, it's an optional extra whether you follow the book of church order. So do, do pray for us as a denomination. We really do need uh, prayer for that. So that's three things. Uh, Sheffield itself, give thanks, but also to pray for us. Uh, number two, to pray for us as a session in the next many months for, to make some very important decisions. Um, number three, for the presbytery. And then number four, why don't we, uh, we'll come back to Lincoln and Berlin and one or two other things. But why don't we deal with Uganda next since we have uh, our brother and sister from Uganda. I, I've been involved in Uganda since about 1993. I met a pastor when I was in London called Pastor Otuochi, and he saw his own family gunned down by Idi Amin soldiers and killed in cold blood. He then went to Kenya to train for the ministry and then came back to Kampala, which is the capital city of Uganda, and to plant a church, but also to uh, be involved in taking in children who didn't have parents anymore. And there were there was a lot of children then without parents. So we got involved. My dad was a, an engineer and he had his own business. And so I got other people involved. My parents got involved and they were involved for years, supporting financially in many other ways. Um, I'd never been to Uganda. I've been to lots of other African countries. And then I became friends with someone called Palmer Robertson, who some of you may know. And he was involved in African Barber University for many years. And he invited me to go over to Kampala to preach ABU. And then while I was there, I can't remember the, all the exact details, but I think we had a small, I think that, it led, that led to then a pastor's conference the year after. 
and then it led to more pastors' conferences. So with the ABU and the work in Sheffield, we've been involved in supplying copies of the Westminster Standards for the two Presbyterian denominations who remarkably have been functioning for years without copies of the Westminster Standards. Uh, but they have Westminster Standards now, both denominations. And I was there in February 2020 before COVID hit. And uh, there's a book that was just published called Teaching the Westminster Larger Catechism. And uh, so that was one of the main things to teach these pastors. And what's wonderful about Uganda is these pastors, they, they take notes and write everything down and then they pass it on to other people. And Palmer Robertson reckons after those pastors' conferences, there'll probably be more people teaching the Westminster Larger Catechism in Uganda than in the whole of North America. Now, I didn't say that. Palmer Robertson said that. And I don't know if it's true. But one thing for sure, if men begin to teach the Westminster Larger Catechism, if they didn't have theology before, they're going to get that theology then or now. So do pray for those two denominations. One's called the Reformed Presbyterian Church of Uganda. And the other one is, like yourself, it's the PCU, the Presbyterian Church of Uganda. As Presbyterians do, they split off a number of years ago and formed two denominations. You know, there's really not much difference between either of them. But they're both committed to being Presbyterian. So do pray for those two denominations there in in Uganda. So that's number four. Um, why don't we go to number five, to Lincoln. Lincoln is a, about an hour away from Sheffield. Um, we got involved in Sheffield in, in uh, planting that work. Not deliberately. What happened was we had people who were coming from Lincolnshire, which is an adjacent county, which is one of the biggest counties in England. Um, and it's very, very barren, put it that way. There was no Presbyterian church in the whole of Lincolnshire. And there is now. So we've had trials, we've had difficulties, we've had setbacks, but it's five years since that work began. So we're now at the point of uh, voting for, with the members that we've received, God's been converting people there the last uh, couple of years. It's just remarkable how the Holy Spirit's been at work. But it's still a church planting work. We're about to vote for the first ruling elder, who is this man called John Etherton, who's an RAF pilot. John Etherton. And um, so we've also got potentially another man to be an elder, perhaps. Maybe you can pray for him. His name is Peter Cotton. In fact, yeah, he, he's got all the ingredients to be an elder. He's been involved in that work from the very beginning. But for some reason, he's holding back to be an elder. And when I get back, I want to explore with Peter what, what's happened that makes you feel reticent. I know he used to be a pastor a few years ago and got fairly beat up. But we'd love Peter Cotton to be an elder as well. And we're in the process now as a session that's in Sheffield who oversee the work of calling a potential minister. And we've had conversation with one man called Ian Clements, who's preaching there today, I think, uh, morning and evening. His wife is called Rachel. And Maria and I have known his wife for over 20 years. His wife, interestingly, used to babysit our children years ago. And she's fluent in Russian. 
and we have quite a few Russian contacts in the church. So maybe you can pray for Ian Clements that the Lord would prevent us from making any mistakes and prevent the congregation from making mistakes. And if he's not the right man, that God would raise up the right man. We need a British guy who would have a sense of calling, someone who can preach sermons and not sedatives. We want someone who, you know, they want preaching. Um, so that's uh, the work in, in, in Lincoln. And um, shall we move to Berlin next? What time do we finish, Berlin? Is it quarter past, David? Ten after. We've got 15 minutes left. You ready for Berlin? You all know where Berlin is? Berlin is due east exactly from Sheffield. If I take my little private airplane and start flying, um, about... <laughs> Listen, I, I said to Maria, I said, I've got some fantastic illustrations for the church tomorrow. We went flying yesterday. She said, but that's, this, what you're, though, though, that flying's got nothing to do with the sermon. I said, no, listen, I can, I can fit it in. <laughs> so we went flying yesterday. I was taken flying with a friend of Joe Fowler. It's one of these open airplanes. It's the only open airplane type in the United States. And Joe, being the coward he is, made me go first. So we flew down to the Chattahoochee River. It's got these twin props at the back. It's a microlight airplane. It's completely open. So we flew down to the Chattahoochee. You know the Chattahoochee River? And then he, goes, he comes down to five feet off the, off, the, off the water. So I'm talking to him out back. I said, have you, have, have you seen the movie, this Sully? <laughs> where, where this guy lands on the Hudson River. I thought he was going to land on the Chattahoochee. So anyway, so we're flying along, and uh, mosquitoes are just hammering the windshield. And then he says to me, I want you to take over. I said, no kidding. So anyway, I did some steering. This has got nothing to do with Berlin, by the way. Berlin, anyway, is due east exactly from Sheffield, an hour and a half away. It's the capital city of, of Germany. And we, when Sheffield started, I've been involved in Germany for almost 20 years. But once Sheffield started, German Christians who I knew were saying, don't forget Germany. And I thought these were throwaway comments. I've since learned that Germans don't make throwaway comments. So they were serious. So I was sent over by our denomination because I had all the contacts to find out where would be the best place and where the contacts were to plant a church. And it was very clear that all the, all the arrows were pointing towards Berlin. Berlin is a huge city, four to four and a half million people. As a result of national socialism under Adolf Hitler, uh, and then losing the war, and then the Russians coming in, and then the Berlin Wall. And then when the Berlin Wall came down, that wasn't the end, because what, what did countries like Britain, America, and France send through the Berlin Wall? Atheistic capitalism. So the gospel has been really suppressed for decades. So we began with church planting Bible studies, and by God's grace, um, there's a, a church established in Berlin now that's growing. Um, they have a German minister called Johannes Mueller. You know him? When we first came to Grace, I introduced him as Johannes Mueller. 
And I said to him later, when we got back to Joe Fallon's house, I said, did you notice they were wrongly pronouncing your name the whole time? He said, it's your fault. You wrongly introduced me. So his real name is Johannes Müller, Müller, Müller rather. But uh, he's married to a Turkish lady who was a Turkish Muslim convert. And they now have two children. And now there's also a ruling elder called Marius Valish. But when we worked overseas and we thought we're heading towards the mission field, Marius was with us as part of the team. So I kind of became his spiritual father and he, he's, he, he was pretty strongly Baptist. So we'd only just started the church planting Bible studies and he announced, I think my wife and I, this is not for us. So I turned around to Marius and I said, well, I appreciate that. I said, but this church planting work's going to go ahead regardless with or without you. Because we're thinking really the next 25 years. Well, anyway, I gave him a, I gave him a book called, what's that book called again? Children of the Promise. Have you know that book? It's the best book on baptism you'll ever come across. If you've got someone who's uncertain about baptism and they've bought in to the unbiblical doctrine of believers' baptism alone, then Children of the Promise is going gonna, is gonna to rattle their cage. So he was going to a Baptist church, a Nazarene church, has four daughters, became convinced of covenant baptism so he told his wife this is true honey we need to get our children baptized so he went to the pastor of the nazarene church and he kindly arranged for his four daughters to be baptized but that was the beginning of him coming onto a presbyterian pilgrimage so they transferred a few years ago and marius is now a ruling elder and two years ago the lord met marius and showed him, I want you to be a preacher of the gospel. So he's almost, he's 39 years of age. He's got an established career as a school teacher. And he's now begun training for the ministry already. So we've made a decision as a session that next summer, that's 2024, we're going to believe God for enough support for him to train full time, but to go into the ministry. So you can pray for me and for us. We hope that Marius can come over at some stage. You can meet him. He's fluent in English. He's a normal guy. He's a gifted guy. And so God is raising up other preachers. There's also a guy called Peter Winch um, who um, is in the church in Newcastle. He's fluent in German. He's married Marius's sister. So he's also on a trajectory for the ministry. So we may have three ministers in Berlin, which would be pretty cool. Still a huge city. But the Holy Spirit's doing remarkable things. So I've got nine minutes left. And I'm going to speak for another four minutes and give you a chance for some questions. Is that okay? Um, yeah, so literature... I think, um, I remember back in 2010, I would show people an old-fashioned copy of the Westminster Confession of Faith. And I'm not, I, I kid you not, when I, people could not, in Sheffield, within an hour and a half of where we live, there's 9 million people. And back in 2010, people could not spell Presbyterian. 
it, they would say, is, is, that, is that three or four wise? Um, they'd just never heard of it. And then I'd show them a copy of the Westminster Confession of Faith. And I, I remember one guy, I showed him this. And I said, he's got Big Ben. You know Big Ben? got Big Ben on the front. I said, where do you think this document was made? And he looked at the front cover. I said, well, go on, where do you think? He said, America? I said, no. I said, there's a clue on the front page. <laughs> and he still didn't get it. Never, he'd never heard of the Westminster Assembly. So we began to have a catechism class from the very beginning in 2010. Because that's the whole point of this book, teaching the Westminster's larger catechism what we believe and why. Because we thought if we're going to recover confessional Presbyterianism, we especially need to teach adults about the Christian faith. So my sister, do you have sisters like this? She, my sister's not a Presbyterian. She's fairly sympathetic today, fairly sympathetic. She came to one of the Sunday school classes and then she said to me after, I was using the old version of the Westminster larger catechism. It's in antiquated Elizabethan English. She said to me, this is just old-fashioned. You need to change it. I said, no, it's not. She's my older sister. And uh, I said, no, it's not. She said, yes, it is. It needs to be modern English. I said, listen, you, you don't know what you're talking about. And, uh, but actually, she was correct. So actually, we set about a number of years ago a team of us, to get the Westminster Standards, the Confession, the Short and the Larger Catechism, into modern English without changing any of the content of the Westminster Standards. We don't have any added proof text like you'll do. We, don't, we have the original Westminster Standards with a, a chapter on the civil magistrate. You could do with that chapter. Seriously, you could do with that. I'm serious. I'm serious. You could do with it. Now, we have a private, we have a clause of denomination that we, we acknowledge that that is open to private interpretation as a denomination, so we don't make people subscribe. But we put it into modern English, and then, be, began, and then a, a publisher called Evangelical Press published it. And then they, it, it, they, it was published with essays. In fact, Joe Fowler wrote a preface. I met Joel Beakey again a few days ago, and he saw this book, the Westminster uh, Standards in Modern English, with essays. He said, this book is fantastic, Joel said to me. We need to get this stocked in Reformation Heritage. I said, Joel, you wrote a preface for this book. I did, he said. So I opened it. I did, he said. He'd forgotten. So he's going to get that restocked again for Reformation Heritage. But it was, it, it was sold so well that they then the publisher got the... Uh, uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism done, which has been distributed all over the place. And now the, there's a new distributor for these books. It's called tenofthose.com. I can give you some of these leaflets. Tenofthose.com, they have a, a place in Louisville, Kentucky, as well as the UK. They're very organized. And they said, tell anybody you can get any of these books from tenofthose.com. And so we published the larger catechism. If you're in the ministry, I'll give you a free copy of that today. And now, I spent four years with others working on the Westminster Directory for the Public Worship of God. Have you heard of that one? It was one of the first documents ever produced by the Westminster Assembly. We've spent a lot of time putting that into modern English. 
and it's got a whole bunch of essays there uh, by people like Joseph Piper, Joseph A. Piper Jr. Have you heard of him? He's got a mustache. He's quite grouchy. I'm only kidding. But he's got a, a great essay on preaching. There's someone called Joseph H. Fowler, attorney at law. You know him? You can't believe what this is going to be a book signing when these books come. His the, the sermon, his, his essay is called, can you believe this? The humility of this. Sermons, not sedatives. That's the title of his essay. It's fantastic. Terry Johnson's got essays in there and other people. So the publisher said to me, as I'm going to go to the States, they said, this will be a hardback book, about 400 pages. They said, Kevin, we'll give 70% off the first 1,000 books that you sell. So we've got it open at the moment for between now and the end of April for people to put some bulk orders in, minimum of 50 books, um, not just for yourselves, but to pass this around because we need to see a reformation in worship, not just within our own little narrow circles. We need to give these books to people like Ned Fowler and say, you need to read this. Chapel Hills, whatever it's called, that church up the road, is it Chapel Hills? You know, we want people to understand the truth outside our own little backyard. So that book's going to be coming out. And if you want some bulk copies, take some of these and you can contact me. And I think I'm out of time and I can have some questions. If you don't ask me questions, I'm going to catechize you and ask you some questions. But you can ask me questions about anything. We've got five minutes, I think, David, haven't we? We've got five minutes for questions, men or women, about anything about my youngest daughter's wedding. Go for it, Mr. Is it Major Ellis? General Ellis? What is it? Excuse me. <laughs> Lieutenant Colonel, what is the question? <laughs> I've got to say it's you, because you're the first pilot who got me to support Alabama. And uh, you got me into a whole lot of trouble. I can tell you about it later. So I think it's got to be you. Did I say number eight? The literature? Uh, well, there was going to be a number eight. I was. Let me just think about that in the next few minutes. There was going to be an eight. What's that? <laughs> no, no, there was going to be an eight. Let me just think about that for a moment. Uh, and if not, I can email you. You can let the whole congregation know. But there was going to be an eight. There was going to be a seven when I woke up. But then, was Uganda eight? It was four, yeah. But let's go through the points again. What was number one? Number two? Session. Number three? Presbytery, yeah, and denomination. Number four? Number five? Huh? Lincoln, number six? Number seven? Where's... So... That's a good question. We've lost eight somewhere. I don't. If I, it'll come back to me, I will. I will let Pilot Ellis know to let you know. Thank you for that. Next question. Yep. Root behind who? 
we're not going to be meeting with him. We're going to be bringing charges against him. Well, I think the point is this, really, is that Jesus said, by their fruits you shall know them. And I think if people end up with a hardened heart, they can reveal that they are actually apostates and they were never Christians in the first place. I had a meeting for an hour and a half two days ago, and that's exactly where we're at. That, and if we don't bring discipline charge against people like that and some others, then we're going to fail them. Because to allow people like that to continue with a delusional track would be wrong of us, wouldn't it? You know, we, we don't do this lightly and we've not done these things hastily. But as a session, if we don't lead, then who will? So really, I think the question is that we don't believe these people who've been causing problems are bearing fruits of being regenerate. And that's, you know, this is completely, and I've, I've got the number eight, by the way. Um, this is completely biblical. We've read things like, in Acts, it says, Paul, Paul tells the session in Ephesus that from among your own session will arise fierce wolves. We get to 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. In 2 Timothy, Paul begins to mention people by name. Alexander the Coppersmith did me much harm. Hymenius and Philetus and Janus and Jambres. It's Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Since I've been in the U.S., I've met with three different churches who've gone through exactly parallel things that we've gone through the last three years. And, and one church, even more so, and it's been remarkably comforting because they've passed on their advice about these things. And, and they've already said, you need to go back to Sheffield and tell the session they have our 100% support to do the right thing. Number eight, Justin, is this. The training of men for the ministry. So thanks for picking up on that one, because I've got men now coming to me set with a sense of calling. We've got Marius Varlish, for example. My own, my youngest daughter, Rivka, got married seven months ago. Her husband's called Adam Moore. He's a qualified chemical engineer and is now a consultant, ridiculously so, at 24. I don't know how you can be a consultant at 24 and tell people what to do, but, um, but he is anyway. But he has a sense of calling for the ministry. So he preached his first sermon last week, and the men uh, who were training for elders, they said, let's send him to Lincoln. So he preached his first sermon in Lincoln last week, and, um, and he's only got one sermon in the locker at the moment. And when I get back next Lord's Day, he'll be preaching it in the evening service. But we've got other men, Ali Uda, Ali Aliuda, who's going to be a, an elder for us in Sheffield. He's a fantastic preacher, isn't he, Maria? He is anointed. He's, a, he's a, got a PhD. He's an expert in software engineering. He's a university lecturer. But he says to me, and he said to us as a session, this is all good, but life is too short. So he wants to train for the ministry. We've got others. So to pray for wisdom and how we're going to be handling this, because men need to not only train for the ministry, but they need to be part of a church where there's going to be good preaching at the same time. And we see that as vital. So you can pray for us for wisdom, for the training of men for us that are coming forward in Sheffield. That's number eight. One last question. Oh, no, we're out of time, aren't we? So that's it, folks. Is that Looney Tunes? That's all, folks.
We'll see you next time we're in town. And we love you very much. And we want to say to the session, to the deacons, we cannot thank you enough for your love for us, support for us. And, um, yeah, it, it means a whole lot. So thank you. And this is my wife, Maria. So if you've not met her, you go and speak to my better half.